The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Thank you, Christian. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. So we've been in the series, Death of a Disciple. We're actually finishing it today. And uh, if we have to define disciple, we looked at Jesus' words over and over again the past couple of weeks. And let's do it again, looking at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So if we've learned anything about being a disciple, it is that it is not about being a fan. It's not about being a casual fan. It is being a real follower. And you know what a fan is, someone that admires something but doesn't allow what they admire to change their life, you know, to, to call the shots. I mean, I'm a fan of the Tennessee Titans, but I don't, I will not like let that affect my life. I won't make sacrifices for the Titans. Well, maybe if they start making the playoffs, I might, but like that's not a regular part of my life. But, but a follower is someone who allows what they admire to change everything about their lives, to change the complete direction of their life. And so that's why week one, we talked about being dead to sin. We talked about our old way of living where we called all the shots and we followed the God of this world. When we talked about that, we talked about putting that life to death. We talked about putting sin to death, not playing around with it, just literally cutting it out of our lives. Last week, we talked about, okay, we're dead to sin. Now we're alive to what? We're alive to God. And we talked about being slaves of God. God. And again, that's the language of a follower, a slave of God. He calls all the shots. Everything that I want comes second to everything that he wants. And today we're talking about disciple making. We're talking about disciple making. If you have a Bible, you can turn here. If you have a smartphone, you can flip here. I don't know. Anyway, Matthew 28. I'm sure you're familiar. A lot of people are probably familiar with this. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So you might know this uh, passage of scripture. You might be very familiar with it. You might be familiar with it by a certain title. We call it the Great Commission. Maybe your Bibles say that at this, the top of this. The Great Commission, right? Jesus sending us out to make disciples. Well, I grew up at a small country church, Bellevue Baptist Street, right up the street. And uh, in the Baptist world, we talk about the Great Commission all of the time. I think if you walk into Bellevue, like it's, it's, it's on there somewhere. Like it's on the building somewhere. Like it's a big deal. And, and the way that it was interpreted and the way that we kind of made that happen was we had a lot of uh, evangelism programs is what they were called. So maybe you're familiar with it, evangelism explosion or, or one was called faith and whatever. Basically it trained us to go out and have conversations with people and tell them about Jesus. And one of the ways that we thought we are going to make disciples is we are gonna go out, go door to door, go talk to strangers, tell them about Jesus, tell them to repent. They would pray, receive Jesus, and then we would go home. And that was one of the ways. And, and is that really what God is calling us to do? Like, is that it? Is that the gospel message? God loves you, and, and if you trust him, he'll forgive you. You don't have to go to hell. Like, is that the gospel message? Now, it's like, yes, those are true statements, but is that all of it? 
I mean, to say that then would be like going to the Grand Canyon. You come back and I go, what was it like? Tell me about it. And you go, well, it's deep. And then I go, okay, but like what else? It's pretty deep, right? Like, okay, so that's true, but you're missing something, right? Like that's, that's not the big picture here. And in the same way, when we talk about making disciples, that's what Jesus has called us to. Yes, we proclaim the truth that we are dead in our sins, separated from God, and the only thing that will bring us back to God is trusting in faith alone in the Son of, in the Son of God, Jesus, who gave himself for us and was raised to life for us. So, so yes, that's absolutely true. However, think about what we talked about. It says make disciples. What have we talked about for two weeks? That means God is calling us to go out and not just sell a message to people, but to go out and make slaves of people. To make slaves of people. Yeah, tweet that out. No, don't. All right. Uh, so again, we, need, we mean to go out and call people to follow Jesus with everything that they are. And that is a process. That doesn't just happen overnight. Discipleship is this process. And so I think you could easily make the argument that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament was discipling Timothy. And if you look at his letters to Timothy, it's not simply, Timothy, have you accepted Jesus in your heart? Excellent, end of letter. This is Paul, here's a drawing I made. Like no, these are long letters where he is teaching Timothy. It's a process that he's taking. He's, he's, he's trying to go after every part of Timothy's life. It's, it's a big, big process. And this giant process, this call to make disciples, is it really on all of us? And the answer is yes. If you're a follower of Jesus, then absolutely that call is on you. And if you don't believe Jesus' words here, Matthew chapter 28, then a servant is not above his master. We just talked about last week that we do what Jesus does. He was a disciple maker. So we are to be disciple makers. But why haven't we answered this call? Why, ha why aren't we better at disciple making? There's something that's happening, I think, in the American church, but I know it's happening in the churches in Memphis. There's this push towards discipleship, which is a great thing. It's an incredible thing. And I think one of the reasons why we have this concerted push is that there's been a vacuum. There's been a vacuum in our churches where we haven't been making disciples. We haven't been leading people to, to become slaves of God like we should. And, and so there's kind of this push to do that. And I think one of the reasons we, don't, we haven't done that and why this push is happening now is we think, well, the church has got it. Like there are programs in the church that disciple people. So like, if you wanna be discipled, just get people in the door. Get them here on a Sunday, right? Hopefully the, the music you know will be great. Hopefully the preaching will keep them awake and then they will like join a class and they'll get discipled. They'll learn something in that class and that will be it for them. There's this book by Francis Chan called Multiply. I wanna read you a quote from that. He, he speaks to that. He says, we reduce discipleship to a canned program. And so many in the church end up sidelined in a spectator mentality that delegates disciple making to pastors and professionals, ministers and missionaries. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. But making disciples is far more than a program. It is the mission of our lives. It defines us. A disciple is a disciple maker. The call to make disciples is on every follower of Jesus. In fact, pastors, not only are we called to make disciples, but but we aren't called to make your disciples for you. We are called to equip you. Ephesians 4 says that, that some pastors, we've been called to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. My job is not to do the discipling of your neighbors for you. My job is to not design some sort of program to disciple the people at your work for you. 
My job is to equip you to go out and do it yourself. That's what our jobs are. So not only is it not the pastor's job to disciple everybody, our job is to equip you and to push you and to challenge you to go do that. It's a call on everybody, every follower of Christ, regardless of a lot of things, regardless of age. This is a call on everybody, regardless of age. If you go to Titus chapter two, you see instruction for older men and older women to teach the younger, the younger men and the younger women. And here's the thing. It talks about age, but it never tells us an age. What is older? What is younger? Well, it doesn't say. Why? Because there is no prescribed age at which this calling starts, and there is no expiration date on this calling. There's no prescribed age at when it starts. If you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is someone behind you in life, and you need to go after them. You need to go show the love of Jesus to them. There's no prescribed dates. There is no, well, you know, when you're 21, you know, when you're 18, you can vote and you can disciple, right? Like, that's it. That's the moment. No, no, there's no prescribed dates. And there's no expiration date either. There is no, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm retired. I'm older. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and kick back and whatever. No, there is no, there is no prescribed age and there is no expiration date. So regardless of age, this call is still on you. Regardless of experience, this call is on you. Maybe you think, you know what? I don't know enough. I'm a brand new Christian, all right? Like I'm brand new to this thing. I don't know enough to reach out to somebody else and try to teach him about following Jesus. I don't know enough. Well, I want to tell you something. Matthew chapter 10, you see Jesus sending the 12 out on a mission. They're sending the 12 out. You know what he's sending them to do? Well, they've got to heal the sick. They've got to drive out diseases. One of the things they're doing is they're proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is sending them out, the first evangelists, if you will, sending them out to say, go tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Go call them to repentance. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, Matthew himself was just called by God, like by Jesus to follow him, just called. The next chapter, again, I don't know how much time that is, but probably not a lot, Jesus goes, all right, go out there and spread the good news, right? Go tell everybody about me, right? That's crazy. They're, they're newbies. You don't get much newer than that. They didn't grow up in a Christian home. Why? That didn't exist, okay? Like, and they didn't come from these incredibly wonderful spiritual backgrounds. They are newbies, and Jesus sends them out to tell everybody about the kingdom of heaven. They are brand spanking new. That's incredible. So what did they do? They, they did what they knew. Jesus, before he sends them out, just gives them some simple instructions. So what did they do? They go out, and they follow the instructions. Did they know as much as they knew towards the end of their life? No, of course not. Did they know as much as they knew after three years of following Jesus? Of course not. They would have been much more, they would have been much better equipped according to our understanding of, equi of being equipped if they had waited, but they knew what they knew. Jesus gave them just exactly what they needed to know and sent them out. I would say the same thing for you. Regardless of where you are, you know exactly what you need to know to go out and be faithful to what God's calling you to do. Regardless of how new you are, you do the same. You might not know how to teach a Sunday school. You might not know how to get up here and preach. You might not know how to, uh, to, to open to the book of Leviticus and make it make sense in light of the New Testament. I don't either. But you do know how, maybe you know how you read your Bible. So you show someone that. Maybe you know how you pray. So you, you pray with somebody like you know how to pray. You know how to worship on Sundays, so you worship with them. You know how to tell your story, so you tell your story. You know how to spend time with someone and be patient and kind and loving and generous. Then do those things. Do what you know. And here's the bonus, bonus points here. 
we don't disciple in a vacuum. So you might feel incredibly ill-equipped. Well, guess what? You've got a family of believers around you that'll help you. You know, there are people in my life that I disciple and there are a lot of I don't know moments that come up. And so what do I do? I call other believers that know better than me. I call other believers that have more wisdom than I do about a certain subject and I, I ask them. A friend of mine is discipling somebody right now and, and, and he, he said, you know what, I, I kind of want to take him through this book, but I, I don't know, could, could you help me find a book or do you think this book would be good for where he is in life or whatever? I mean, we don't disciple in a vacuum. We have one another to help us do this thing that we've been called to do. We share the responsibility of discipleship together. So what does it look like to make a disciple? One of my favorite uh, podcasts that I listen to is called The Way I Heard It. And the guy who hosts it is uh, Mike Rowe. And Mike Rowe became famous through a TV show, I think it was on the Discovery Channel, Dirty Jobs. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that show? So he would always end up doing something that I would have to eventually turn the TV off halfway through. But one of the ways he did it, he would go find this terrible job, whatever it was, like sewage treatment or whatever. And before he did the job, he would observe and he would, he would list, he would watch what they were doing and then he would receive instruction from what they were doing. And basically he would go to the experts. He would say, I will do this job I know nothing about. That's super gross that no one wants to do, but I'm gonna learn from the experts first. In the same way, we're, gonna, we're called to do this job that is way over our heads. It's a job that a lot of people don't wanna do to actually make disciples. Let's go to the expert. And the good news is our master Jesus is an expert in making disciples. So we're gonna look at how he did it and hopefully copy some of his characteristics. And so to do that, we need a case study. We, we can't just say, well, Jesus made disciples. What did it look like? We need to like look at how he did it. So let's pick his relationship to Peter, shall we? Let's look at how he discipled Peter, and we'll look at his life and pull out some, uh, some, some characteristics here of how he discipled and hopefully co copy it. Number one, Jesus called Peter. Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. The first step in disciple making is calling people to be disciples. Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because Jesus was a fisherman? No. What was he doing? He was looking for these brothers. He was going after these brothers. He went where they were. And then what did he do? He stood there and just all of his good teacherness and waited for them to say, would you teach us? We want to follow you. Would you help us? Would you teach us? No. He called to them. Hey, Follow me. Come on, come on. I got a new life for you. Follow me. In the same way, this is our responsibility to pursue other people and call them to discipleship. We are, I'm all about being approached. That's a good day. When you're standing there, someone comes up to you and says, would you disciple me? Would you tell me more about Jesus? Heck yeah, what? that's fantastic. What a great day. But that's an anomaly. That is not the rule. That, 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 that isn't naturally how things flow, right? I would love it. If my six-year-old came up to me and said, Dad, would you teach me how to be more respectful to my teacher? Yeah, I would absolutely love that. But that will happen the day he comes up to me and says, Dad, I just did our taxes, right? Like that's not normal. That's an anomaly. That's not gonna happen. And so we are, we are to go out and to call people to discipleship. So we definitely should be, but who should we be looking for? Who should we be looking for? Now, the spiritual answer is everybody, um, but we're not in Sunday school, so there is no gold star for the spiritual answer. So hopefully this will be a little bit more practical, a little bit more helpful. Uh, two types of people we should be looking for. One, 
We should be looking for the younger, the younger. So back to Titus 2. Titus 2 instructs older men to instruct younger men, older women to instruct younger women. And this is a biblical model that we would call top-down discipleship, top-down discipleship, reaching out to those who are behind you in life and discipling them. And this is scriptural. We see it here in Titus 2, but it's also natural. This is a natural order of things. When you think about a parent's relationship to their child, the older pursues the younger. Like, I go after my kids. Like, I'm building the relationship with my kids. That's healthy. That's how it's supposed to be. And so today, after church, we're going to Tunica. And after we gamble a little bit, no, I'm just kidding. We're going to Tunica for the dinosaur thing, Jurassic Quest or whatever. Anybody want to go? Anyway, we're going down. We're going to go down there. We're going to look at dinosaurs all day and, and have a good time like doing that. Why? And it wasn't their idea. That was their dad's idea. Why? Because I'm pursuing them. This is the natural order of things. When it flips around, something's broken, isn't it? That's a broken relationship. When a child is pursuing their dad, dad, would you please come spend time with me, right? That's a broken relationship. There's a, there's a song about that, I believe. But that's a, that's a broken relationship. When, a, when a, a son has to go find his dad and beg him to spend time with him, there's something messed up about that. And so even in the natural order of the way God created it, the older are to pursue the younger. It's scriptural and, and it's also in our natural order. And, and so we should pursue those who are behind us in life. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, besides the fact that it just makes sense like naturally, I mean, you think about Corinthians, God says that he's the God of all comfort and comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we will comfort others. Doesn't it make sense that people who have been through more who've had more experiences, who have the wisdom and the scars and the, and, 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 and the joys and the pains of, of a lot more life, doesn't it make more sense for them to go to those who haven't been there yet and say, let me help you? Does that make sense? And so God has lined it up that way. So we pursue the younger at every stage. You know, in our student ministry, we encourage our middle schoolers and our high schoolers to go serve in the children's ministry. Why? Because we need children's ministry workers? No, I mean, yes, we do. But no, why? The purpose behind that is we want to instill in them this desire to reach back to the younger. So that when they're in college, they reach down to the students. When they're in their 20s, they reach down to the college. When they're in their 30s, they reach down to the 20s. And so on and so on and so on. This is God's design. For the older to reach to the younger, we should be discipling the younger, whatever the younger is in your life. And I know that's different for everybody. For me, it is the college students. That's the younger in my life. For Brother John, that's a lot more people, all right? But anyway, like, it's different for everybody, right? We, that's, but that's God's model. We should be reaching down to the younger. So that's my question to you. Who are the younger for you? And are you looking for them? Are you engaging where they are? And you go, well, you know what? I don't, I don't hang out with them, right? Like, I don't do what they do. Jesus went to the sea to go find fishermen. A rabbi went to the sea to go find the fishermen. He didn't stay, like, teaching in the temple. He go, man, I hope those fishermen get here soon. He went and found them. And that's our responsibility, too. We go to the younger. The second type of person we should be looking for and discipling is the friend. We've heard this verse a lot probably. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard this verse. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Have you ever thought about what that word picture is? It's the same metal. They're side by side. They're in the same place. And they need the exact same work done. 
You know, they both need to be sharpened. To me, that's a picture of not top-down discipleship, but side-by-side discipleship. That's what that looks like to me. We love Jesus together. We're in the same place and we're figuring this out together. We're holding each other accountable. We're, we're, we're praying for one another. We're holding each other up. I have a group of friends by God's grace who we meet, uh, we try to meet weekly and we meet and, and we have this Bible study we're going through. But more than that, we just live our lives together. For, for most of the men in that group, there's almost nothing off limits in my life to them and vice versa. Why? Because we're iron and we both are dull and we both need to be sharpened and we're both trying to figure all this out together about how to follow Jesus right and how to love our kids right and how to love our wives right. And so we're just kind of walking this thing side by side. And as we do that, we're sharpening one another. And this is God's plan for us. And it makes sense, right? I mean, friendship makes the best discipleship. I want to be around you. I want to pursue God with you. So we should be pursuing our friends. We should be. But the main point is, we should be calling others. That's the first thing that Jesus shows us. So are you looking around? Are you going to the Sea of Galilee? Are you looking for the fishermen? Are you looking for the younger? Are you looking for your friends? And are you calling them to something deeper? Are you calling them to discipleship? The second thing, Jesus shared his life with Peter. Jesus shared his life with Peter. I mean, it's just incredible. You think about what Peter lived through. And those three years, just all that time with Jesus. There's like nothing off limits for them. I mean, he made Peter a priority. Peter was not relegated to, hey guys, you know what time it is. It's Sunday, it's 11.30, so it's discipleship time. So come here guys, let me disciple you real quick. Bam, 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 bam. All right, I'll see you next Sunday. No, no, no. He opened his life up to them. He had like 24 access to him. Jesus invited Peter to incredibly intimate moments, incredibly intimate moments. You look at Matthew 17, Jesus brings Peter up on top of a mountain and, and Jesus is transfigured, it says. Like his face like shines, like the sun, like, like he's just, his, his glory is kind of revealed and, and Elijah and Moses show up and they start having this conversation and then God speaks and he let Peter show up for that. He let Peter be there to see this incredibly intimate moment. And you think about at the end of his life, when he's in the garden and he's, he's overwhelmed with the stress of, of thinking about taking the wrath of God on himself for us, he lets Peter come with him. He shares this turmoil with Peter and he asks Peter for prayer. He shared incredibly intimate moments. He endured embarrassing and difficult moments with Peter. Let's just go with the garden. We already mentioned the garden. He calls Peter to spend this time with him. Peter falls asleep and Jesus endures. Jesus doesn't like just say, well, you're cut off. No longer do I love you. No longer are you my disciple. No, he, he endures the difficulty. In that same garden, Peter cuts a dude's ear off. He sees Jesus open his mouth and people fall down at the power of Jesus' words. And Peter goes, I know what I'll do. He needs my sword to save him, right? And, and Jesus still doesn't cast him away. Peter immediately leaves there and he goes and, and denies Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just throw him off. And, and that's what living life together, even through the difficulties, if you're gonna live life with somebody, you're gonna see them at their best and you're gonna see them at their worst. That's part of living life together. My wife has seen me at my best those three times in our lives. She's seen me at my best. And she's seen me at my worst. She saw me this week. Um, fight and lose a battle against a uh, plastic um, slide that I was trying to put on my kid's swing set. 
Um, and so ultimately, that slide has been cursed, and uh, it is in the deep, it's in a deep, deep bowel of hell. And uh, if anyone wants to donate a slide, that would be great. Uh, but anyway, you see people at their best, and you see people at their worst. And Jesus encouraged Peter. He spent all that time with Peter. He saw all of Peter's uh, uh, weaknesses and insecurities, and he encouraged him. And he looked at him one time and said, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. I mean, he encouraged Peter. And that's part of the model of discipleship. That's so crucial that we've got to get. We must live our life. We must open up our lives to other people if we're going to disciple them. It can't just be some canned program. We've got to open up our lives. Again, in the same book, Multiply, Francis Chan wrote, discipleship is all about living life together rather than just one structured meeting per week. So not only do we look for people and call people into this deeper relationship, we open up our lives to them. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think about in college, there's this man who, who was discipling me for a, for a, a, a couple of years in college, and um, he opened his home to me, and he had me over for meals, and, and he met with me regularly, and we, uh, uh, we, we spent time together. We spent a lot of time together. He's the one, who, he checked in on me. I called him when I had questions about different things, and so our lives were, were interwoven in such a way that Sunday morning programs couldn't contain it. That's what discipleship was. I had relationships that were contained in Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and, and they, they did not lead me to a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of how Jesus, uh, how, how I fit into the story of Jesus, right? And so when we disciple, we share our lives with others. The third thing we see, Jesus taught Peter. I know, duh, of course. He's always instructing people. Of course he did. He taught. But I want to point this out because Jesus' relationship with Peter was intentional. There was a purpose to it. Beyond their softball team, there was a purpose to it, Right? His purpose was to teach him. And so following Jesus' example, our relationship for discipleship needs to be intentional. I can go find somebody I don't know too well, call them into my life, open my life up to them, hang out with them all the time, make them a priority, and yet still have no intentionality behind our relationship. And so we need to have that. We need to instruct. We need to teach. How do we do it? Well, look at what Jesus did with the word of God and, and application to their life. He, used, he took the word of God and, and he, had, he spoke to them in the word of God. Now I know, Jesus' literal words were the word of God. But if you look in the New Testament, he quoted the scriptures, the Old Testament, like 40 times. So he used the word of God, the wisdom of God, to speak to them. And then also, is, he was all about practical application. Taking what they're seeing in the word of God, and instead of just saying some, like, hey, check out this verse. Right? No, he had a purpose. It wasn't just theological information. He was giving them these verses and then saying, now listen, this is what it means for how you treat your brothers. This is what it means when, with, when it comes to your anger or when it comes to your lust or when it comes to your ambitions or your goals. He was all about practically applying God's wisdom to their lives. And we do the same thing. These are the elements we need. If we want uh, intentional relationships of making other people disciples, then these are the things we need. We need the wisdom of the word of God. And we also need to be wrestling with that wisdom to try to apply it to our lives. Which again, I'm gonna make another argument for top-down discipleship. Doesn't that, doesn't that just make sense? Like you've lived it longer, you have a lot more practical application to offer, so it comes from your experience, but it also comes from the wisdom of God, asking God for wisdom and him giving. You might be thinking, I am no great theologian. I have to teach the word of God. I don't, what are you talking about? I am no great theologian. Well, let me say this. As you learn, you teach what you learn. That's as simple as it is. 
As you learn, you teach what you learn. There's this really great ministry in Memphis called Downline Ministries. If you're interested in learning more about the Bible and, and even being trained to deci- make disciples better, I would encourage you to check out Downline uh, Ministry. I think it's downlinememphis.com, something like that. Anyway, Google it, you'll find it. But this is their model. You go into a class, and so you go in, let's say you go on their, mon- their Wednesday morning class, 5.45 a.m. I know, ungodly hour for godly things to happen. But anyway, they're in there, and so... You go, this is, let's say this is your first class. They teach on the book of John. When you walk out of there, you are ready to disciple. You've been in one class. Wait, how in the world am I supposed to do that? You just teach them what you just learned. That's all it is. You just teach them what you just learned. Because you know what? What you just learned, they don't know yet. So teach them. And while you're teaching them, you're gonna learn some more. And keep teaching. So you just practically, whatever God's doing and showing you as you study the word of God, you just pass that on. And God's gonna continue to grow you and grow your knowledge. It's an incredible thing. Plus, there's just great resources out there. I mean, you go, I don't even know where to start with somebody. Do you have a smartphone? Download the YouVersion app. There's little devotional reading plans. Read those together. Say, look, I don't know, I'm, I don't know what to teach you, but we could follow Jesus together. Why don't we, why don't we do one of these devotional things together? And just, just read it together and talk about it and pray together. We have right now media as a church. We have these access to these video Bible studies. That's, that's what my friends and I do on Tuesday nights. We use something off of right now media. Like you can have an account to that. Our church pays for it. Everyone in this room can have a free account. It's got 13,000 video-based Bible studies. You can have an account to that for free. You can lead someone through one of those. You can do that. Or training like Downline Ministries. What a great resource. But if we're gonna make disciples, then we have to teach. We have to be intentional about our relationships. The fourth thing, Jesus dealt with Peter's sin. Look at Matthew 16, verse 21. I think we'll put it up here. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. So in this moment, Peter's wrong. But he's like wrong for the right reasons, right? Like he's trying to protect Jesus. He loves Jesus. Jesus, I'll do anything for you, except admit that I know you to a little girl. But I'll do anything for you. This can't possibly happen. So it's good reasons, but it's wrong. And Jesus doesn't overlook it. He could have pat him on the head and said, I know you love me. It's gonna be all right, little buddy. But no, Jesus dealt with that wrongness. Why? Because that wrongness was leading Peter away from life. It was leading him away from the most incredible truth of all time, that the Son of God would give his life as a ransom for many. It was leading him away from that. And that's not the only time Jesus confronted Peter's sin. One time, Jesus, Jesus didn't ignore it when Peter cut that dude's ear off. Jesus didn't ignore it when Peter walked on water and then started to sink because he doubted Jesus. Jesus didn't ignore it when Peter denied him. Jesus dealt with his sin. And although his responses were different to all these different failures, the one thing they have in common is he didn't ignore it. He dealt with it. Why? Because Jesus loves Peter. These things were gonna lead him away from life. Jesus says, my commands are for your joy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest. So when we do things opposite of God's command, when we do things opposite of God's wisdom, it's leading us away from joy. It's leading us to hurt and to pain. It's the reason I correct my children. 
It's not because I'm mad at them. I correct them because I love them and I want to lead them to a life of joy. And if we're going to disciple one another, then we've got to get just down and dirty. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've got to get in it. And we've got to deal with each other's sin. It's a big deal. It's easy to pick up a Bible study book and go, what do you think about that? It's hard to look at somebody and say, I think there's something about this attitude you have you need to deal with. I think there's something about these words you said or this action you took that, that doesn't please the Lord. I think we need to talk about it. And you say, okay, that's really uncomfortable and I know it is. So how do we do it? Can, can you please give me some guidelines? So I won't, but the scriptures will. Let me read James 3.17 to you. But the wisdom from above is first of all, and, and that's, what, that's what rebuking sin, showing somebody the right way, that's the wisdom from above. First of all, it's pure. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Just pull some things out of there. Peace-loving, gentle, merciful, sincere. So when you confront, can you confront with the goal of peace? Can you confront with gentleness, with mercy, with sincerity? Can, can you serve them with good deeds before and after you make that confrontation? Like there's wisdom right here. Like God's giving us a roadmap of how to deal with this difficulty. And God will be with us. Jesus promises that. He promises that in Matthew 18. I will be with you when you confront these difficult things. So the fifth and final thing, Jesus sent Peter out. Have you ever thought about the Great Commission from Peter's perspective? I mean, so <laughs> Peter's like walked this incredible journey with Jesus for three years, watches him die devastated, thinking this is it, it's over. Jesus is back, like now he's back from the dead. Oh my gosh, he's hanging out for 40 days with him. Guys, it's back to normal. We got Jesus back. He's got a couple extra holes in him, no big deal, but he is back. He looks better than ever. Everything's going great. And then Jesus goes, time to go. And what I did for you, you go do for a bunch of other people. I mean, my goodness, what a crazy call on his life. But here's the reason he did that, because Jesus' design was not for everything he poured into Peter to terminate on Peter. If it was, then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he'd just take Peter with him, right? Oh, oh, you're all holied up, time to go, right? Like that, he would do that. But his design was not for it to terminate on Peter, but for Peter to do the same. And that's our, that should be our goal as well. The, the goal of our discipleship relationships is to make disciples who what? Make more disciples, who are constantly making more disciples, who will reach out, who will not allow what they're learning to terminate on themselves, but to do what? To love their neighbor with it. To call other people to the greatest joy there is. That's the most loving thing I can think of. That's how we love our neighbor. And when we do that, that's how this kingdom spreads. It doesn't spread through conquering wars. It doesn't spread through hate or fear. It spreads through disciples reaching out and making other disciples. You want to see the darkness recede from this world? Then make more disciples and watch the kingdom of heaven spread over this planet. So we not only are to make disciples, we are called to make disciples who make disciples. And that's Jesus' model of disciple making to us. We have to call people. Go get the young, go get your friends, your peers. We have to share our lives. We have to teach. We have to be intentional with the word of God in our relationships. We have to deal with sin and we have to multiply and send out. So it seems like the conclusion's pretty clear. It's time to go make disciples. 
And here's the other challenge I would give you. Go do it. I have a friend of mine who uh, has completed um, Downline. Just incredible, again, incredible training. Like It's like a year-long program, maybe nine months, I think, nine-month program. And uh, you meet two times a week, sometimes three times a week. And basically, you walk through the whole Bible. You get this incredible teaching. They bring in these really brilliant teachers, and, and they just teach you the entire Bible. It's a really great program. Well, one of the things, one of the requirements of the program is you teach what you learn. So literally, day one, you have your teaching. What can you do with this? Do not come back in three days without having done something with what you've learned, right? So maybe talk to your children, talk to your spouse, talk to somebody at work, meet with a group of men and say, let me show you what I'm learning with Dallas. And they have all these resources to help you do it. He was in the program the entire nine months, and he didn't disciple anybody. And you know, as we talked about it, after we talked about it, um, you know what it came down to? He just didn't think he could. He, he just never done it. Well, here's the thing. Ultimately, he did start discipling somebody. And you know what he said? Why didn't I just start? Why didn't I just do it? He goes, that's how this happened. You know, we were talking one night in his car about this, and, and he hadn't discipled anybody yet. And, and I said, I want to give you a piece of advice. Just go do it. Just go do it. And he was like, okay, but I need a little bit better advice. So, so do we meet, like, should I meet them at Starbucks or whatever? And I was like, no, 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 go do it. Just go and watch what the Lord will do. And so he did. And so let me give you that super deep theological answer to you today. Go do it. And you say, well, I, I don't, I, what do I have? You, you have this. You have what you learned today. You have what God's shown you every day prior to today. And you have the Holy Spirit who will will and to do the work in you to do it. Just go, just start. Look around you and start. Go walk along the sea, find those fishermen and start. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe parents, it's your children. Maybe you haven't taken discipleship of your children serious enough. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's somebody else in your family, somebody else in your family you want to call to a deeper relationship. Maybe it's your peers already, your friends, your fantasy football league, whatever. Maybe there's somebody at work. Maybe there's somebody in this room. Or maybe you can't think of anybody. And it's time for you to go reach out to the younger, whoever that is, to go someplace that you don't normally go, to have conversations you don't normally have. And I'll tell you this, you might be intimidated by that. Let me, let me tell you this. I've gone to eat, gone out to eat with a lot of different people from like my age, younger, all the way up to like the most I can possibly think of, like uh, Brother John. So anyway, like I've gone just a, a wide just span of people. Love you. All right, just a wide span of people. And you know what? Meal's a meal. It is not weird. If you buy me a meal, meal's a meal. I don't care if you wear a Walmart bag on your head during meal, like, are you buying my dinner? Let's do it, right? And I think I feel the same way for everybody else, all right? So if you're like, I don't even know how to begin to that, have that relationship. We live in the South and we deep fry Twinkies. What are you talking about, right? Just eat food with them. Like just reach out and eat food with them. We were, yesterday we were at uh, our kids' basketball game and the ref, who we've now known for a couple of years, but only through basketball, uh, we, he, yesterday he just came up to wife and said, hey, next week would you and your husband like to come uh, eat, eat lunch with me or, or eat dinner with me? I'd just like to get to know you guys better. And you know what we said? Ooh, gross, weird. No, we have plenty of friends. No, what do we say? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. I didn't expect that guy to, to ask us to lunch, but that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. What do I know about him? 
I know that he calls a lot of fouls on my kid, and I don't like that. But what else do I know about him? I don't know anything else about him. It doesn't matter. You want to share? Sure, I'll share a meal with you. What's the worst that could happen? Acid reflux? I can handle that, right? I'll share a meal with you. So reach out. Just go. Let me pray for us. God, would you, um, would you help us now? Would you help us now feel the weight of this call on ourselves? You know, I'm gonna ask you now as your head bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm gonna ask you to talk to God. Would you ask God right now, who? Who do you want me to disciple? Who do you want me to open up my life to and to, to, to teach them more about yourself? Who do you want me to do that with? Who? You ask him right now. Quietness of your heart and mind. You ask him. Now ask him how. God, how do you want me to start? How? Do you want me to use a, a version reading plan? Do you want me to just simply start by having coffee and telling my story and hearing their story? How do you want me to start? Now ask him if he would give you the courage to start. God, give us the courage to go and make disciples. We long for the day to see the kingdom of heaven destroy the kingdom of this world. We truly do. And because we do, we want to make more disciples. We want to see you take people back from the darkness. And we want to see the works of your people, the works of love and grace and mercy. We want to see it take back our city. And it can. We want to see it take back our country. We want to see it take back our continent and our world. And with your Holy Spirit, it can. So God, would you help us make disciples to watch the lightness take over the darkness. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this call. We thank you for calling us to this incredible journey to walk with others through this incredible journey. So God, now as we sing and worship and respond together, we just want you to be happy. God, we want, to be we want you to be happy with our response. So God, maybe we need to come to a place of surrender and we sing with hearts of complete surrender before you that we'll walk out of here and we will make disciples. Maybe others need to have hearts of surrender to you for the first time. Complete surrender. Maybe they're saying, I want to be a disciple. God, would, would they call out to you this morning with a heart of repentance, turning away from their old life, turning away from sin, and trusting you to give them a new life? But God, whatever our response is today, we want you to be lifted up. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.